Gavin, welcome to the podcast. This podcast is all about how to unbox your gift, how to turn that thing you love called a passion and turn that into a profession. Now, I've been following your journey specifically on LinkedIn and you're a school teacher, you're a Montessori school teacher specifically, you're a principal, you're an author, you're a philanthropist. Before we started this interview, I said to you, look, there are so many teachers around, but you've really taken teaching and intertwined it with your DNA. I want to ask you, please, why teaching? Why, did, why is that your passion? Well, I didn't know it was my passion at the beginning. I wanted to be like every child, you know, uh, you want to be a scientist or a rocket, you know, someone who goes to the moon on a rocket or and mine was wanting to be a football player. Uh, and I'm from Northern England and my hometown is Leeds and my local football team is Leeds United. So uh, I um, decided I was going to be a football player and I put all my time into that. You know, I play football outside with a friend of mine called Johnny Hardy. And we'd play till it was dark. We'd wake up as soon as it was like we'd play football all day, 24 hours a day to be the best football player in the world. Anyway, we, we almost made it. You know, we, we, we got to a level where we were almost playing for our, the club of our dreams, which is now in the Premier League, which is the top flight to be in. Um, but there was a point where it was time at the end of school to make a big decision to go to university or not. I sat with my mum and my mum is a single mother. And we just, you know, uh, we've been together a long time. We were very close friends. And, you know, we sat down one night and I had the, the booklet, which is where you decide what the course you're going to do. I said to my mom, look, you know, I'm doing geography, I'm doing economics, you know, what am, what am I going to be? And she said, you know, why don't you be a teacher? And I, I never thought of being a teacher. And I said, well, you know, why? Why should I choose teaching? And she said, well, number one, you're really good with kids. Like kids, for some reason, just come to you. And you don't know that yet, but they do. And I said, okay, that's nice to know. And she said, number two, you'll never, ever work for the man. You'll never be lining someone else's pocket for your hard work you will be doing work for the community and setting up a future for other people not yourself as she said get ready you won't earn a lot of money but um, you'll always feel like you're doing good every single day of your life anyway I took a chance I trust my mom so I said you know what mom let's go for that so I just you have six options on this form and I just chose one and I chose teaching and I filled in the form I got in and then I was a kindergarten teacher and a few years later and I realized, goodness me, this is so fun. Like, this is so fun. I get paid for this. This is awesome. You know, like drawing pictures and it was just great. And I've loved it. I've done it for you know, 25 years now. I loved every minute. Wow. So if you, would you consider ever having done anything outside of teaching? Because it would truly was like, why don't you try it out? And you just loved it. Was there anything yeah. that happened at you? Well, well, you know, I, I have a, so much energy. It's, uh, you know, an expendable amount of energy. So, uh, you know, at one point I was playing football and I was a teacher at the same time. So I was doing, I thought, I can't give up football. You know, it's still a dream. But then I, you know, I had a, I broke my ankle when I lived in France and I was, my football career was finished at that point. So I thought, you know, teaching is, is the way to go. But along the journey of becoming a teacher and being, uh, you know, refining your talent as a teacher, you get very good at lots of things. You, you develop this a plethora of skills that you know other people don't tend to have. And you know, like to, to, there's, there's no one manages time better than a teacher. No one. It is not easy being a teacher. You've got 30 kids who come in the door. They're all different. Every day is different. Every variable you can possibly imagine is different every single day. And you have to educate them, care for them, be their brother, their mother, their sister, be their doctor, be their 
everything you have to be everything to these children and so you have to be very very good at managing time and multitasking um and you have to be very very determined because you're not in for the short haul you know you're in this for the long haul this isn't a give me the kids in january i'll give them away in december you know you go into the classroom knowing full well that you want to pass them on to the next teacher with all the skills and all of the academic you know prowess for them to succeed in the next step so you know you it's it takes a certain type of person to become a teacher and i think that while you're becoming a teacher and refining that talent of being a teacher you develop so many of the skills that if you think carefully you can use to branch out later on in your and i'll say this with inverted commas for any teachers are there in your spare time because uh, you know <laughs> teaching isn't a nine to five job as you probably know yeah, yeah for sure so you got, you got into teaching you found out that because from the advice of your mum you fell in love with it so I and I was listening to your tech talk and by the way uh, listeners if you haven't heard Gavin's tech talk in Sydney highly recommend it. he did in November last year and you said that uh, for 10 years you were teaching at a normal school and what a normal school was that you know kids sat together and if they talked then you would you know tell that child go sit somewhere else so they would stop talking and then yes. is that when you discovered Montessori like 10 years after being the you know what's called quote unquote a normal or an everyday teacher mainstream they say mainstream mainstream, mainstream. pardon me thank you mainstream but it's hard to sweep everyone under the mainstream brush because it's not uh, not everyone is, is is the same every teacher is completely different um kind of yes so i was working in a you know i born in england i moved to france i then lived in spain i went traveling around the world and i ended up all on a shoestring i wasn't born with any silver spoon in my mouth i actually came from a very 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 poor background living in the largest housing estate in europe with a single mother and you know i i, I never focused on money it was never about that obviously being a teacher you're not talking about being rich no teacher out there is going to be rich there's no question uh, but uh, what happened was I ended up in Australia and when I arrived I thought look I need a job here what what can I do you know obviously I'm a teacher I'll get a job as a teacher so I luckily I worked in an Islamic school in the UK my hometown is is full of um, people from Pakistan and lots of um, lots of Muslims and I learned how to speak Arabic like I'd learned how to recite the Quran just by listening to the the Mufti do it every single day so every day he would do morning prayer and he would go you know something like I would oh be anyway, he would go on and on like this and I didn't really know what he was saying but then I'd ask the children hey you know I know I can say that and they'd say wow it's pretty good I said what does it mean so they'd teach me this is what it means Gavin anyway so then I came to Australia and I needed a job so I was looking and I thought you know where will be where can i get a job the quickest and it was a job in, the, in an islamic school in lakemba which is just west of sydney yeah and uh, so i applied i went along and uh, i walked into the interview and there were quite a few people in the interview most of them were muslim you know uh, ladies mm -hmm. uh, in the waiting room and i went in there was the principal there and, and the deputy and i said salamu alaikum and they both said mashallah you speak arabic and i said actually uh I, I don't speak Arabic, but I know about your culture, I know your faith, I know the Quran, I'm not religious myself, but I understand that how wonderful and beautiful it is, you know, if you look at it in the right, through the right lens. Anyway, uh, I got the job on the day. They said, you got the job. 
So my, uh, you know, my previous history of living in Sheffield, where we have a lot of Pakistani families, uh, paid off. And then I was working in this Islamic school with a lot of refugees coming from Lebanon, Burma, Syria, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, and um, they come from pretty harrowing backgrounds. You know, when you when you when you ask them to tell you a story of their childhood, and I won't even repeat it on your podcast. Some of them were so horrendous, it broke your heart. You know, make you cry, bring you to tears. And uh, you know, I thought to myself, how am I going to give these children the best chance in this classroom? How are we all going to learn from each other here? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to learn here. I'm learning from you every day and you're learning from me. I'm teaching about science and history, geography and all this stuff. You're teaching me about Afghanistan, uh, you know, society. You're teaching me about Iraqi culture. And I was learning so much from them. So I designed this kind of classroom, which didn't go down well with everybody in the school. Because everyone in the school is very linear, sitting in your rows, face the front. If everyone's silent, when the principal comes down the corridor and that's a good teacher, and this is a really well-behaved class. Well, my class wasn't like that. And it wasn't crazy. It wasn't wild with it throwing stuff and going. It wasn't like that. But there was movement and there was talking and there was choice. You know, I'd let the children sit where they wanted and I'd let them go to the bathroom if they needed to go to the bathroom. You didn't have to put their hand up and ask me. I trusted them. <laughs> I know. I said to them, I trust that when your bladder communicates with your brain and says I'm full, it needs to be emptied. You don't need to ask me because I have no idea what's going on in your bladder because I can't see through you. So you can just go when you're ready. And anyway, at the beginning, they all were like, well, I'm going to the bathroom all day. But after a few weeks, we're like, well, I actually really enjoy it in, in Mr. McCormack's class. So I'm, I, I'll only go when I need to go. And I gave them trust. I said, I trust you, you know? And then they trusted me. And then we had this beautiful classroom. Oh, wow. I can't tell you how beautiful it was. I just loved every minute of it. Yeah. Uh, I loved the fact that these children would have come from such harrowing backgrounds. Mm -hmm and they were independent and they had a voice and choice and they had autonomy. Anyway, a lady from the government came to do an inspection and she sat in my class and she watched. And I was a bit nervous, I don't know why, but I was a bit nervous. At the end I said, you know, how was it? How Was I any good? And she said, are you a Montessori teacher? And I said, I'm not. And she said, I think you're a Montessori teacher, but you have no idea. And I said, oh, isn't Montessori a religion or a cult? Is it a cult? And she said, no, 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 it's not a cult you need to go have a look at a Montessori school. So I decided to go have a look and I made a, a meeting with the, my principal to go and have an observation in a Montessori school. And I realized that although I wasn't Montessori trained at the time, I was doing a lot of the things that Montessori wanted their children to do. You know, choice, freedom, trust, autonomy, all that stuff, self-direction. Mm. I just happened to... Yeah, I just happened to do it by chance. And then obviously I went out of school Montessori. There was no going back. I said goodbye to my old job. And I thought I'm going to be a Montessori teacher now. I need to do this training. And uh, I, I took a new job. I left the Islamic school, which was beautiful. And I'm still in contact with the community very much. But um, I took a different path. And here we are now, principal of Montessori school over in Manly. So it's interesting. And what's very interesting about your situation, Gavin, is that um, I guess right now and wherever we are, whatever careers we do, personal brand has become very important. Who you are, yes, you're a teacher, yes, I'm a trainer, but the, the reputation that you have and the personal branding, what it's called in the marketplace, of how you represent what you do, what you believe about what you do, communicating that on social media, you've done that very well because that's allowed you to even just increase and really just outreach your message to a greater audience which is how I know about you 
can you just go into, yes, now you're in teaching. Now you've realized Montessori is the path that you want to go and really serve. How did you develop your personal brand? How did you, what did you do to get your work out there so other people can know about what it is that you do? So a good friend of mine who's a marketing kind of guru, we, uh, we go running together. And um, quite a while ago, we were at a Christmas, I, I'd become a Montessori teacher and I'd uh, you know, realized that the tactile, um, I, you know, I'd done so much reading in my Montessori degree after I'd finished my main degree that I'd just learned about children from birth to 35 years old. You know, this journey of Montessori is, apparently goes on forever. And I, I, I just discovered this, this new vision of what education and childhood is like and, and where education begins. I used to think, oh, you know, school starts at five when you go to school. Before that, it's just playing around and, you know, you play in the sand and pour water from one pot to another and you get your hands wet and it's all about. And I realized it's not about that. You know, though, those times, that, that zero to six, the sensitive periods, they are so crucial. Um, and, you know, I still... I had to stop myself from becoming a preacher to my friends who had children say, hey, by the way, you shouldn't be, you know, and I thought, God, I'm all my friends are going to hate me here because I'm this is I'm not even a parent. So I, I've got to stop that. And I, I stopped doing that. But there were times when we go to like um, family, you know, not family, we go to friends, barbecues or picnics and on. And I take along some Montessori materials just for fun and have them out and all the kids will be round. And then and then it would just be happening. They'd all just be learning without even realize they were learning. And I'd go over to the barbecue and we'd be having a chat with a couple of parents and they'd say, hey, you know, what are those, what are those things you brought over there? Those bricks and blocks. And I said, oh, well, that one over there is the pink tower. And this creates, you know, a sense of, anyway, we went running a few weeks ago, me and my friend who was at that barbecue. And he said, um, you know, the other day when we were at that barbecue and I saw what the children were doing, I said, oh yeah, it's pretty good. And he said, you know what you should do? He said, you should start your own YouTube channel. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you should record that kind of stuff one at a time. And you could be the go-to person from where people want to know about early childhood or how parenting at home and education in the home. And I, I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea. So I went home that day and I just quickly made a very terrible, shoddy, bad quality little video about something. I can't even remember what it was. And I put it online. And a few people engaged with it and said, oh, it's great. I'm going to make one of those at home and I'm going to try that out. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really have a presence online at all. So I just, it just grew from there. And I thought, I'm just going to continue down this route. I'm just going to keep giving it away. And I had to think really, really carefully about this. And I still stick by this today that, you know, if you, if you know your purpose, my purpose was, I know there's a lot of kids out there who could do with a, a bit of a hand on how education should look for them in terms of you're giving them a choice and some freedom. But in order to give them that freedom and choice, I need to talk to the adults who are in charge of them, their parents and their teachers. So what I'll do, I'll, I'll make materials for kids and give them away online. And I'll make guidance for parents and give that away online too. And if I tick all those boxes at the same time, then kids all over the world uh, will be on the right track and I won't even need to be there. So my, my purpose and my intention were clear. And then the impact that you have is, is obviously going to be the result of that. And then you get the feedback. I love this. This is great. I've shared this with my staff. You know, after about six months, one lady in Bankstown, she wrote me an email saying, I printed out every single state, every single statement that you've made on LinkedIn and made a booklet. And at school, we read it in staff meetings and we reflect upon your what wow. you say. I thought, oh my God, this wow. is this is awesome. And I thought, I can't stop. I can't stop doing this. 
So I just, you know, I had to be careful because you can't take over your life because, mm. you, you know, you don't want to live for LinkedIn. But I just thought in the, every day in the morning, I was going to write something down, put it online with a little picture and see how we go. And, um, and here we are today. You know, I, I'm not some famous megastar or anything like that, but five years down the track after starting that, you know, thousands of schools all over the world have got documents on their tables that I made in my living room. You know, I, I started this really cute thing recently where on Facebook, I read a story at nighttime at seven o'clock. It's called Storytime with Gav. And I have a book in my house. It's not great. You can see my fingers and I'm turning the pages. And I think that's what makes it kind of special mm -hmm. uh, that it's not, so, it's not so clean cut. It's just like a man reading your story in his house, whatever. I, you know, I was going to do it just for lockdown. I thought, I'll just do it just for lockdown. And then this lady wrote me a message from Pakistan. And she said, um, my kindergarten children every day at two o'clock in Pakistan, which is seven o'clock here in Australia, they all put their hand up and say, Miss, Miss, it's time for story time with Gavin. And she sent me a picture of all these little children in Lahore gathered around a tiny TV. And on the TV is me reading a book to them. And I thought, OK, I can't stop doing this either. Now. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible from from a, a refugee myself Gav who is a Muslim and who the journey that you have been on and then the the emotional intel because I train emotional intelligence that you already had and that you've improved on it just it's testament that you really walk your talk like it, it truly is the fact that you're constantly learning about yourself and in that learning you're able to give so much more to the kids and to a wider world that you didn't know would take to take take so much from what you have. Like my, my question to you, Gav, is that it, you know these are the kids that want to learn. You know, like they gave them choice to go to the bathroom and they wanted to go. You know, they did all that stuff and then trust was built. And then they realized, well, actually, I want to be in the class. What do you do? Because I have I know a lot of friends who teach in schools. And the schools are really rough. Like I'm talking chairs being thrown around, profanity, you know, desks yeah. being thrown. How would you, as a, as a seasoned teacher, as someone who is, who is prone in Montessori, how do you calm down or how do you, because obviously they're hurting. There's something's not right there. How do you reach yeah. out and just get through to students like that? Well, I've worked in some of the roughest schools in, in Yorkshire when I first started my career. Uh, exactly what you're describing, you know, chairs being thrown, you know, I won't even go into the details, but horrendous situations. And, you know, it's very clear that the children who are screaming the most, you know, and, and causing the most disruption in the room are the ones who need the most love. That's the truth. You know, um, when a child, and this is not obviously clinically clear with every single child in the world. This is just I'm sweeping the brush here, but I've worked in this job for a long time. When a child is, um, is causing disruption in the class, there's a, there's a clear reason why that is. And that's because they want you to notice them. They're saying, notice me, please, right? I need to be noticed. I need to be acknowledged that I'm here and I need a place and whatever my place is, it doesn't matter. If my place is the naughty kid, that's fine. If my place is the bully, that's fine. Just give me a place in this society, in this room. I need to feel that I fit. And you, as the teacher, you have the power to steer that ship where it needs to be. So, you know, for example, you've got a child in class who's calling out the whole time. And, you know, we can go to extreme circumstances of throwing chairs and whatnot, um, which are, are more severe. 
But you've got a child who's calling out or interrupting all the time and being disruptive in your class. You have a choice as the teacher. And I've been in this situation myself. I've seen the magic. It doesn't take too long. You have a choice. You can give them attention for doing the wrong thing continuously. And what they will do is they'll say, every time I do that thing wrong, the teacher acknowledges me mm. and says, Thomas, can you stop doing that? Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. And all they hear is I am being acknowledged. Someone knows I exist. They are recognizing my existence and my place in this classroom. You have a, it takes a lot of patience, this part, but you have to, at some point, flip the lid and steer the ship in the direction. And what you do at that point is you go, I'm going to get this child who clearly wants me to notice him, but I'm going to start noticing him for the right reasons. So the minute he does or she does something which is the tiniest bit correct, whether it's writing a letter F and you say, everybody put down your pencils, please, no talking, I have something to say. And the kids said, what is it? In 25 years of working in teaching, I've never, ever seen an F this perfect. This is the perfect F. And then little Tommy, kind of in disbelief, looks around going, oh, my God, like everyone is looking at me. The teacher is talking about me, but because I did something right. It doesn't matter what it is. And then at the end of that lesson, you say to him, hey, Tommy, by the way, that was a beautiful F. I've never seen an F like that. If you can do another one tomorrow, that would be amazing. Now, you watch tomorrow morning. He'll be the first one to school, little Tommy. The first one in the door. He'll be the first one to do an F and show you it straight away. Look, look what I've done. He says, amazing. And then you just have to build on that. You know, that's an amazing sentence. I love the way you were this morning. I love the way you were kind, you know. And before you know it, before you know it, you've turned them all around. I mean, I've worked in those schools. I've worked in those schools where... It's a horror and you're like, God, I just want to walk out of here. Like, this is a nightmare. Why can't they all just be quiet? But you know, it's A, it's boring when everyone's quiet. And number two, you know, that's your job. Like, your job is to get these kids on the right path. Education is not just about maths and English, science and getting a, a grade A. Education is about learning how to live. Like, this is how to be. <laughs> I'm going to show you how to be. Here you go. You know, and then later down the track, you tell him. And I've done this. You tell little Tommy, you say... Do you remember six months ago, Tommy, when you were always in trouble? And little Tommy says, yeah, I do. And he said, well, you know what we did? And he said, yeah. I said, well, you started to do the good things for the right reasons. How do you feel? Do you feel better? And he'll say, I feel a lot better now. And you say, because being good makes you feel good. You're designed in that way. And when you're bad, you know, when you do things wrong, you don't feel good, do you? And they can reflect upon that. And, um, you know, but... It takes a certain teacher who's willing to put the time in and the effort and, and the perseverance, you know, like I talked about before, the patience and the care. And, you know, you need, as a, you know, it's an interesting parallel because you need, a, you need a principal who supports his executive, who supports his teachers, who supports the kids. And if you've got the top, if top's about dictatorship, it filters down to a fact when it's the teacher goes, you'll do what I say. If you don't do what I say, you're out. You know, and I would never, when I took over this school, I got all the teachers in the classroom, in my office, and I said, rule number one, and there's only one rule, you don't send a kid out of your class ever, and the child is never wrong. Off you go, guys, that's the meeting over. And they all came back, like, what do you mean? They're never wrong. I said, well, it's never their fault. Learn, it's learned behavior from somewhere else. They're either having troubles at home, it's in history, they've had some trauma, or it's your fault. <laughs> wow. And so we need to figure out why. And, you know, we had a bit of kickback, but ultimately it's not their fault. You know, everything that they know is learned behavior. So we have to acknowledge that. 
that's really interesting, Gav, because uh, I remember uh, listening to your TED talk, you spoke about this coming to this point, the little boy who's doing the NAPLAN test, and he was, as you're walking past him, he had tears in his eyes, because obviously he was finding the test overwhelming or hard. And you said that's not the purpose of learning or education, when people at the Board of Education decide what is going to be on the test or what's in a NAPLAN, for then the end result to be an eight-year-old boy with tears in his eyes, crying over a test. And that really learning is about you know, a skill of life, how to cope with things. What do you think it would take to change this educational system so that what you're describing is common and not something so left of field? Well, you know, go back to that story. I didn't quite explain it in great detail in the TED Talks. You're at a limited time frame, mm. but he was literally crying. The paper was sodden. He was a very smart boy. Mm. A very, very smart Bangladeshi boy, probably the, the smartest boy in my class. And as he tried to fill in the questions, his pencil was going through the paper. You know, it was so wet. Poor guy. It was, and the pressure was coming from home, actually. Yeah. Mum and dad were putting a lot of pressure on him to get 100%. 100% is not easy for mm. anyone to do anything. It's almost impossible. Anyway, um, you know, what will it take to change this? I think we're already seeing the change, to be honest with you. I think even hearing the conversations around banning NAPLAN and getting rid of it and changing it, you know, is interesting. But I think that we, in order to change it, we need to have people who are willing to step outside their comfort zone. And, and you know, principals, leaders, heads of school who are willing to say, hey, you know what? Because, you know, we have 172 policies here at school, right? That cover everything from assessment to risk assessments, child protection, you name it. There's a policy for everything. Mm. And the policy on assessment from the National uh, Board of Studies, it says that you will assess your children on the outcomes that have been taught, right? That's, that's what it says. You mm. will assess them on the outcomes that have been taught. It doesn't say how you will assess them, right? It says you will assess them. So at, at my school here, uh, the way that we assess is we don't have exams, we don't have tests, we don't have grades, we don't have percentages, and we certainly don't have rankings. I mean, I don't know how you can ever compare two children mm. that are 15 trillion different cells combined. How can you ever compare the two? It's like saying, you know, compare me to Usain Bolt in 100 meters. You know, <laughs> that's no comparison whatsoever. But I'd like to see him, you know, write a teaching program on narrative writing. You know, we all have our strengths, right? And so we have to acknowledge that. And when you think about education like that, you've got a lot of children there who are coming into class and, you know, everything works in a big linear scale. So you have children coming into class with no choice. So they're coming in, sitting down, the teacher goes, it's time for mathematics nine till 10. It says it on the timetable. Here's the program that Barbara gave me that's been here for 10 years. Now, guys, we are going to learn about patterns and algebra. Let's do it. Here's a worksheet. Open your textbook to page 15. Highlight the keywords because all of this is in the test on Friday. If you pass the test, you get a great day. Well, well done. Have we all done a great job? Yeah. That's, that's not education for me. Mm. So, you know, and there are many schools around the world still doing that. And it's not the fault of the teacher in any way. Yes. It's, you know, it's an inherited system. You know, from 200, 300 years ago, designed for the Industrial Revolution to get people to go to work. Mm. And that's not what we want. That's not going to be the future. What we really want is children who can come in and make choices and make mistakes, mm. you know, and learn from their mistakes and decide where they want to sit, sort out their own problems. If they're having a fallout, well, it's fine. They can work that out themselves. You know, I'm going to have a fallout later in life with a friend of mine. I have to be able to sort that out. 
no one's going to come over and say, Gavin, separate from your friend bar, you know, and move and sit over there. You, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's comical. <laughs> it's completely comical. It's a joke. We need to let it happen in our classrooms. But, it, you know, it comes from the top and it filters down. But going back to the assessment side of things, how will that change? Well, you know, the, the way that we operate in this school is we say to the children at the beginning of term, and, you know, the children in my school, in the primary school, they range from six years old to 12 years old, right, as any primary school would. At the beginning of term, we meet with our six-year-olds, and our seven-year-olds, 12-year-olds, all of them. We say, this term, I'm going to teach you these subjects. We're going to learn about nouns. We're going to do dinosaurs. We're doing fractions in week three. We're going to look at Mount Vesuvius in week nine and go to Antarctica in week 10. Okay, wonderful. Stick that in your book. There's the curriculum. There's a timetable on one sheet of paper. Now, if you want to jump ahead at any point, you can. You know that dinosaurs is coming up in week three. If you're in the library with mom, you know, in week one, get some books on it. And when I'm about to teach it, you, know, you can help me. And they go, okay. So that child suddenly goes, I love dinosaurs. I want to be a paleontologist when I'm older. Mom, let's go to the library now because I want to help sir when it comes to week three. And so ordinate, you just hand it over autonomy straight away. So they can start to navigate their way immediately. But at the end of the term, we sit down and we've done all of our teaching and the children have helped us and they've been independent and there are projects and all this stuff. At the end of the term, we sit down face to face like me and you. And we say, let's talk about what I taught you this term, Tommy. And Tommy says, okay, so I said I was going to teach you nouns. What do you know about nouns? And he says, well, nouns are names of objects, people, places, or things. You know, the trees are now proper nouns need a capital letter. And you go, you know what, Tommy, you know all about nouns. No need for a test, no need for an exam. I know you know everything. But while we're having the conversation, Tommy, I looked at your body language, intonation, confidence, eye contact, posture, all the stuff that an exam could never tell you. But all the stuff that you need in the future, I mean, you know, you couldn't run a podcast if you were a very bad communicator, right? Yeah, of course. And you never get to assess communication. You never get to assess that. Um, and so we use that conversation, not uh, just as a part of the assessment tool, but the other really important part, which I really need to explain to you and your listeners, is this bit, because that alone isn't enough. Yeah. A conversation twice a term. The other part is really, really important. And that is that we give our children lots of time to do their work. So they come to a lesson. Let's say we're having a lesson, me and you, on photosynthesis, right? Mm -hmm. And I teach you a lesson on photosynthesis, and I say, you know, Carbon dioxide is, and, and we do all the, you know, razzmatazz. And then I, at the end of the lesson, I say, now, Joyti, um, off you go. Um, you can go and continue your work on photosynthesis. You know, you've come up with some questions like, hey, you know, um, how do bees use leaves? And, you know, what happens in the stem of a plant and all this stuff? And you, you ask me the questions. I write them down, but I don't answer them for you. I say they're wonderful questions. Off you go. You can research them on your own with a friend or in a group, and you can represent your research in a way that suits you. You can do a post-up, a play, a dance, a model, a report, wow. a piece of art, it doesn't matter. Everything in the room is, on, is yours. You can choose anything you want, but on Friday, we're gonna meet here on Friday as a group, and you're gonna show us what you know about plants. Now, what happens is, click your fingers, all your groups, off they go straight away. I'll work with you. Will you be my partner? You get the paint, I'll get the paper. Let's build a model, I'll do a dance, you do a show, anyway. What you then see is everybody starts to collaborate, communicate, 
working in, in parallel with each other. Your, your person who wants to work on their own, they're an isolated learner. Let them work on their own. It's their choice. The children who fall out in their group, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. I'm leaving. No problem. They leave. You know, and we let that happen in front of us. But what we do as teachers is we don't go to the staff room and have a cup of tea at that point. We sit and we observe and we watch the classroom very carefully. But we watch with keen interest for looking for skills. So we look for communication. Who's communicating well? Who is a leader in the room? Who's, who's got a group together and is delegating responsibility? And you can see, you'll never ever get a chance to see any of those skills in action if you've got everyone sitting in lines in silence listening to you because you're the oracle. I know everything you need to know about dinosaurs. Listen to me, I'm gonna tell you it. That just says to the children, Today, you can only be as smart as me because I know everything you need to know. And that's absolutely false. Yes. So anyway, that's the change we need to make in terms of, yes, but we can do it. It's not hard. Oh, my God. Again, I just think about, you know, I, I mean, I teach people how to find what their strength is. They're good as adults. And the, yeah. the, the, the comments that I get on social for me is people say to me, I, I, I feel dead. I, I don't even know where to start. I, I, and it comes from this, this comparison-itis. It comes from I, I didn't fit into a particular box. And that kind of, I carried that through throughout my whole life. And now that I am stuck and feel that I don't know what I'm good at and I should be further ahead than where I am. And I yes. feel like I'm an absolute lump of lard and I don't, what that comes from those feelings of being, being in a room where I, had, I couldn't perform because I didn't know the work, the teacher didn't complain, I couldn't ask the question because I was scared. All the stuff that you and your teaching take out of the equation, it, it's a process of self-discovery what you're doing. Well, imagine if, you know, I've got a boy at school right now who he's a World War II expert. He's eight, right? He knows everything. He knows every battle, how many deaths, which bombs were dropped, who fought who, what date, time, the lot. I could never... I could, if I had to teach him about World War II, I'd have to go on Google, research some stuff, print it out, and he'd say, Gavin, I already know it. Now, every day he comes to school thinking that he's a historian, because he is a historian. Uh, and so, you know, I was speaking, we have, we're up in a national park here in Manly, right? And I was speaking to the ranger last week. He's the ranger in the national park. He looks after the animals and the trees and the porcupines and all that stuff, the echidnas, sorry. Anyway, um, he asked me, what is Montessori? And I was like, oh, here we go. So I just quickly gave him a quick two-minute spiel. And he said, oh, my God. I wish someone had let me found, find my niche when I was six because I was an accountant until I was 45, and then I suddenly realized I wanted to work with animals in the national parks. He wow. said, I wish someone had let me choose when I was six because I would have never been an accountant. And oh that was really important because I thought, we do, we do that every day here. Yes. So our children would already know, I, I want to be an author. I want to be a philanthropist. I want to be, a, you know, it's already happening. Yes. And so hopefully these children find their way a lot quicker. Yes, I love that. And I know that we've got to let you go because you have to teach photosynthesis because classes are online. It's locked down in Sydney. But before I do let you go, I want to be respectful of your time. The way that you teach kids at the moment, and it's just so free learning, do you think it's the same way that adults also need to be taught when we're talking about, like, for example, corporate training, when you, in your opinion, do you think it's the same way to let them choose how they want to understand and learn content? Well, I, you know, I think trust is a, is a major, a major thing in our organizations right now. You know, I, you know, I've got 25 teachers working here. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I could sit them all down and tell them how to teach. I could say, guys, this is the deal. 
this is how you teach, you do this, you say that, you sit here, you turn this page here. Mm. But I'd be missing out on all of their skill sets. I think that what we need to do is have trust from the top down in our, in our organizations and understand that each and every one of our employees comes with a different skill set. But if we don't acknowledge, we actually miss out on. And I can got a tangible example for you if you want. Please. And that is that I have a teacher here and one day there was a knock at the door. I opened the door, there was a man just standing there. I said, hello. He said, hello, I'm, I follow you online and I wanna be a teacher at your school. And I said, are you a teacher? And he said, I am a sports teacher for high school, but I'm not a primary school teacher. And I said, okay, well, you know, have you done any teaching before? He said, yeah, I've done quite a bit of teaching before. I said, wonderful. I said, what have you been doing in all the time that you haven't been teaching? He said, I'm a chef and a restaurateur. And I said, wonderful, tell me all about it. So anyway, he told me about some of the restaurants he'd open, X, Y, Z. Anyway, so I said, look, you know, I, I don't have a job at the moment, but why don't you come in and volunteer? I'm teaching for a few weeks in class. You can work with me and I can give you some ideas. And I didn't really have a job. I just thought, you know, we'll see. Maybe I can give him some guidance and he'll get a job somewhere else or whatever is going to happen. Anyway, a job came up at school and I offered it to him. I said, look, you're, you're natural with the children, you know, and uh, you've probably got a lot of things you can bring to this school. You're already a teacher, so we can, we can work together. Anyway, um, a couple of months later, he's teaching um, the evolution of man, which is a Montessori lesson about where humans evolved from. And I, I experienced this amazing lesson where he sits with a group of children, four or five kids. And if he wasn't a chef, right, then this would never have happened. If I hadn't have, if I told him how to teach, we would never have this. But mm -hmm. if I gave him trust and said, you've got to teach this concept. What's the best way of getting the results out of the children? So he's teaching evolution of man. And the story is that, you know, your great, great grandfather was a fish, right? Because you've evolved from fish, you came out of the ocean. Anyway, on the table, he has a big trout, a rainbow trout, covered with a blanket, like a little damp tea towel. Kids are sitting there. He says, today, guys, we're going to learn about the evolution of man. Let me first tell you that your great, 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 great grandfather was a fish. And all the little kids were laughing, like, oh, my God, my great grandfather was a fish. That's so funny. Anyway, the children hold up their hands and shine a torch to their hands. He then shows them an x-ray of a human skeleton of a hand and the phalanges in between. They're like, wow, yes, I've already seen that before. He then reveals the fish. They're all like, wow, there's a full fish here. And they touch it, they touch the eyeball and the scales and everything. And then he lifts up the fin and shines a torch to the fin. And you see the children's eyes go, oh God. And one child picks up the X-ray and looks at and go, and then realize it's exactly the same structure, human hand and this rainbow trout skin, exactly the same. One child says, hey, it's the same. It's the same. Anyway, they have this amazing story then about the evolution and how fish evolved from the ocean onto the land and da 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 da. Anyway, at the very end, they take the fish to the kitchen, they fillet it, they cut the, uh, the, the fish meat out, they make fish tacos, they eat the fish, they recycle the waste. He teaches them indigenous history, indigenous culture where nothing is ever wasted, sustainability. And this lesson, which started off as just teach the children about the evolution of man ended up as an entire concept which is the length and breadth of the entire country and human civilization and i thought if i'd have told him how to teach that it would never be as good as that wow you know, it, it would have been half of that and so you know i think that going back to your initial question and i know that i answer them in very elongated ways but going back to your initial question how should we run our corporations we should run them with trust because our employees come in with a plethora of skills that we often brush under the carpets. We say, right, I've worked in this industry for 25 years. Let me tell you how to do it. 
Mm. If you don't do it like this, well, it's wrong. And that's not right. Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, Gavin, I could go on. I have so many other questions that are just coming up as we're talking that I just want to fill them at you. But I know you've got to go. Photosynthesis takes priority. <laughs> the kids unfortunately. <laughs> I just want to say thank you so sincerely for joining us. I know you get a lot of, you told me you get a lot of requests for podcasts and you don't always accept it. And please know that I am truly grateful for your time because I know you have only a little bit to spare with these moments. And so thank you so sincerely for taking part in this podcast and sharing. It is my pleasure. And can I say, yes, it's, uh, you know, I, I looked you up and I thought this woman, this woman does wonderful, wonderful work. Uh, so, you know, it's my pleasure to be on your podcast. You're quite right. There's many requests coming in, but it's good to be, uh, you know, um, it's good to be on one that's going to make a difference, especially because your audience is, you know, um, is a, uh, I think we're in a, we're in a place in time right now where um, we need to make a difference very quickly. Otherwise, our future generations are going to be in a real pickle. Mm -hmm. We can live under, with our heads in the sand for as long as we want, saying that, oh, you know, global warming is not real. And, you know, all of these things, the seas aren't rising, but they are. And it is getting warmer. And, that, and fires are burning all over the world at the moment. You know, these things are happening. Mm. And we've got a chance to make a difference now. And if we don't change the way that we educate our future leaders of tomorrow, we're going to be in the same boat we're in today, unfortunately. So we all have a role to play. And this is a good avenue to be able to broadcast those messages. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Gavin. And thank you, listeners. And we'll catch you on the very next episode on Unbox Your Gift.